If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And listeners, we are getting ready for an amazing conversation with David Harris about professional interim executives. This is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And I actually met David because uh, he had reached out about something that was going on in his region and we ended up having a great conversation. I was like, oh my gosh, David, we've got to get you on the podcast. And so let me share with you just a little bit about him. His career spans more than four decades in every sector. We're talking the for-profit sector, the government sector, and also the nonprofit sector. He has served as an interim executive director with multiple organizations and has actually built a business that helps provide interim executive directors throughout New England, New York, and New Jersey. So he's the managing partner at the Interim Executive Solutions. And I I have to share with you, the more I learned about what his company is doing, the more impressed I was at the way they're approaching interims. So David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dolph. I'm thrilled to be here. So all of us who have been a professional interim have a great first story about our first interim executive director engagement. Tell me yours. Yeah, my first engagement didn't start off as an interim uh, leader. Actually, it started off with uh, a request from a board of a small uh, specialized school to review their president who was up for contract renewal at the end of the school year. So I had the opportunity to go up to this school and to talk with a number of the board members, all of the staff, some of the students, and really do a 360 assessment of this uh, president, including, of course, talking to him. So it was all done quite knowingly. And as you might suspect, the reason the board wanted it is because they had some concerns around uh, the way the organization was being run and the direction that it was headed in. And my report, I think, really reflected those concerns. 
And I shared it with the board and the board said, hmm, yeah, this is sort of what we were thinking. And um, then I asked, well, are you going to share this with the president? And they said, well, why don't you share it with the president? So I shared it with the president, uh, you know, sent him an email and said, I'd love to talk about this and, and ways that we could deal with some of the issues that were brought up. And this was February of a school year that ends in June, and he never came back into the office. <laughs> and so in his absence, because it was quite clear he was essentially saying, OK, my contract's up and I'm done. They turned to me and said, well, we need you to be the interim president of the school. And so uh, I was immediately in that seat. And it was fantastic because I sort of had an idea from doing this research of what some of the issues were. I really started right out with that information. And I was able to sort of work with the senior leadership team in the school to re-envision how we could put this school back on the right track. You know, they were the experts. They knew what it was that uh, the organization needed, but I was able to sort of piece a whole plan together, including making some personnel changes, including really trying to ramp up the marketing uh, and recruitment, which was an important element, and even um, planning for a complete school certification, which was about to come in place. And so it was a wonderful experience for me to learn just what's possible in an interim period and to put an organization on a much more solid footing. We were able to go out and recruit somebody to come in as president, and they were coming into a very different situation than you know I walked into. Ultimately, interestingly enough, that person was there for four or five years, but recently the person who I'd elevated to head up the education program, who I thought very highly of but didn't quite think was there for president, has now taken on the presidency, and I'm really happy for, for that organization. That's awesome. Now, your first-time story has prompted many, many questions in my head. So here's the first one. When the board came to you and said, hey, thanks for doing this, will you please deliver the results to the chief executive? Did that seem at all odd to you that they weren't delivering those results themselves? Very, very odd, Dolph. Uh, clearly, there had been a lot of friction. And this had been coming for a while. And I don't know if they thought there was a chance that this uh, information would be received better from me and possibly uh, open the president to thinking about some of the work he'd been doing differently, or if they just figured that I may as well be the guy who's going to get shot. <laughs> and, you know, they can sort of wipe their hands of all of it and say, hey, well, he said this, <laughs> uh, but it really was a little unusual, I have to say. But I also think that's a challenge for boards in general as to what they take on and what they don't take on. And uh, the best boards are ones that really work collaboratively with the leadership and they trust each other and, and so on. But I think in our line of work, oftentimes when it comes to a situation where they need a professional interim in the mix, there's some contribution to that that's coming from the board <laughs> as well as from the staff. So maybe that was a, a foresight. I, I was just curious because I, I have often found that people who are attracted to boards are repelled sometimes by those tough conversations. I think that's true. If Going a step further, I think often people who are brought onto boards don't actually know why they're there. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> often leave some of the skills and knowledge that 
with the reason why they were a good choice uh, at the door. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think part of our role is to help the board to understand how it can be more supportive, successful, and uh, play a more meaningful role in the success of both the executive director and the organization as a whole. It's funny you say that often when I'm doing an interim, I will say to individual board members more than to the whole board, because it sounds hokey when you say to the whole board, I'm like, yeah, you're my thought partner in this. And so like, you know, with the treasurer. It's not at all unusual for me to be having a conversation with the treasurer on something that's financial related, whether it's policies and procedures or the budget or whatever. And I will say, you're my thought partner on this. So let's sit down and have a conversation. And I think you're right. That is a way as interims, we can help teach boards how to how they should be engaging their chief executive. A step further than that, when I talk to an organization about the need or the interest in bringing in, in a, an interim leader, I'll actually say, we are coming in as your partner. You know, we're not there like a regular ED to be handed the vision for the organization and trusted with making all the decisions. We want to partner with the board to make the right set of decisions, to put the right set of priorities in place so that when they do hire an ED, they know what's going on in their organization. They know what kind of characteristics will really help to further the vision and impact of the organization. I love that. And I often take a very similar approach where it's one of the things I love about doing an interim is, yeah, technically I'm the chief executive, but I also kind of get to step out of that role at times and just be, you know, honest with the board and say, hey, here's what's going on. And here's your role in this. You know, you don't evaluate me next year. Here's your role in this. I think that's actually one of the things that is most powerful about having a professional interim they really are an independent thought partner for the organization. They have no ax to grind. It's not like I'm trying to keep a job. I'm not. I'm there to tell you what I see, what I think we can do to then help execute the things that need to be executed. Um, we do one other thing that's a little unusual, Dolph, in terms of how we approach this work is not only does my organization identify you know, a couple of people think we think would be really good for a particular organization and allow the client to decide which one will be the best cultural fit. But we then stay engaged all the way through. Uh, either I or one of my partners will actually stay engaged, not just with the interim, but with the board uh, leadership. So that if as an interim, you realize that the board needs to work maybe on some of the bylaws or some of the ways that they structure themselves in order to be more helpful as a liaison, I can reinforce some of that. That's often been very helpful because it is hard to handle all of the multiple responsibilities of, of uh, an interim leader and also be that sort of partner for the board. Yeah, absolutely. You said one thing that spurred a quick thought for me. You said you're as a, as a professional interim, you're not coming in with any access to grind. And I agree with you 100%. One of the things I've always been struck by though, and I think this has happened in every, if not almost every one of my interims, the people that do have access to grind, they come and they find me really fast. Like I'm always shocked. In fact, one one time, David, there was a there was someone who who literally, like my very first day, showed up in my office. I won't say whether it was a staff member or a board member, but showed up in my office was with like a, a short list. Here are the four people you need to fire, and I was, <laughs> I was just like, well, that's not really how I approach interims. That's really interesting. Um, you know, I think one of the characteristics that makes for a good 
interim is that they are first and foremost a listener and a learner. Right. And you come into an organization with that stance because you certainly don't have the content expertise for that organization. You know, that's all already in the organization with the business folks to try to uh, pull it all together. But taking that stance and saying, here, I'm here to listen and learn and help and, and move things forward. Uh, people do find you in a hurry and you have to listen and learn and process what's real and what isn't. <laughs> right. And so um, I, I am hoping we have a little bit of a conversation as well around managing expectations of organizations that need an interim. And so I know before we hit record, we were talking about time frame. And I mentioned to you, I'm in the process of doing an interim now, and I think it's probably wrapping up and that it's been almost a year. And you're like, yeah, that, that's what you all see a lot. And that's what I see a lot. But I know one of the expectations I often have to manage is oftentimes an organization will, will start a conversation with me about maybe being their interim and will say to themselves, yeah, you know, we, we think we're going to need you for three or four months. Yes, I've had those conversations. And I guess uh, there are legitimate times when a search is ongoing and they truly are down the path and, and probably three or four months is actually right. Mm -hmm. Challenge is there's only so much you can do in three or four months. You know, you can certainly um, calm the waters. You can prepare the staff that new leadership is not going to look like old leadership. And they need to really uh, think about how they can contribute so that when somebody new comes in, they see them as a valuable asset. Um, so you can do a number of things. But when organizations are talking about, well, we're going to start a search and we're going to bring you in, I try to discourage them from starting the search immediately because the real value we bring is in that objective assessment of the organization which may take four, six, sometimes eight weeks to fully do, depending on how large the organization, how many people you want to talk to, stakeholders and the rest. But at that point in time, that's when the real conversation about what things should we be focused on that are going to make this organization even more attractive to the next executive director. That's usually my lens. And some of those things can be done pretty quickly. Some of them take some time. And so realistically, you've got a month or two of assessment. You've got anywhere between two and six months of actually making those fundamental changes or at least moving in that direction. And then you start a search, which is a four or five month process. So more often than not, we will start with six or nine months in our contracts, but end up closer to a year. And I'll show you, I have this conversation with organizations all the time where it's something similar. They'll often come to me and saying, during the interim period, we know we need X, Y, or Z. And so, for example, during the interim period, they might say, we know we really need, um, I don't know, a close look at our fundraising department, or we know we really need to revamp our financial policies and procedures. I always listen and I say, okay, you know, that that's great. But the way I approach interims is I do a little mini organizational assessment at the front end. And then once that assessment's done, typically after the first month, I'll sit down with the board and we'll decide what the priorities are for the interim period and what's achievable. And, and literally, I'll share with you then, my, my reporting back to the board every month, my board report is essentially um, a Gantt chart on those priorities. It's like, okay, here's where we're at. So they always know, here's where we're at on these priorities. And we because also, let me say, because we've agreed up front, these are the priorities. This is what we're going to be focused on during this interim period. And I found that just so really helpful to keep the board focused on those areas. So they're like, okay, yeah, we're going to make progress here during a time while we're looking for our next. 
Yeah, I, I really like that, Dolph. I do. Um, the way we approach it is that we do put in our contracts sort of a an initial scope of work. And I'm very careful to use the word may. So I say scope of work may include, and then a bunch of bullet points that were all the things that the board or uh, whoever else you got input from, including your own, my own candidate who I put into it, who was sort of listening to stuff during their interviews. Those are the things that I put in there so that they have a comfort that I heard them. But I will also say to them, this can very easily change once we actually see what's going on. And more often than not, it does. And sometimes that means at the end of the day, we don't get to everything that was on that initial list, but we get to the things that are really important. And that's, that's I think, what you're getting at and, and uh, what most people experience doing this work. So I know you and I both have seen organizations get a lot of benefit from having an interim. And obviously, there is kind of that the interim can work on your systems. The interim can kind of, as you've mentioned, help create a clean a clean space for the new ED, i.e. staff now, okay, the new person's not going to be the same as the old, same for board. What are some of the other benefits that organizations see when they bring in an interim? You know, I think one of the things that is perhaps most important is empowering the staff, empowering the team, you know, giving, first of all, making sure people, the right people are doing the right jobs, but giving them that sense of, of purpose and really trying to pull teams together so that they're working effectively together. I don't think you can understate the importance of that. And that speaks to sort of the culture in an organization. In a nonprofit, culture is king. Uh, paying close attention to those kinds of things. Obviously, looking at financials and looking at the underlying sustainability of the current business model is a really important piece of what we do and envisioning what it will take to change that. Now, we're not typically going to be there long enough to be the complete change agents, but we can get the conversations going in the right direction so that when they select a potential permanent ED, it's with a vision of how that person is going to take the organization in that, in that direction. I think the other thing that we try to do is to look a little more broadly at where this organization fits in the mm -hmm. overall ecosystem and be clear about the vision that the organization has for its future in that context. Because if you don't have clarity of vision, then you don't know where you're going. I don't care who we bring in next. Right. But let me also say, if, if you don't know where you're going, it's really hard to hire your next chief executive because you're going to hire the person that can get you where you want to go, not not hire the person and go, okay, where do you want to take us? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yep. And boards don't always understand that is their fundamental responsibility. It's not their responsibility to execute the strategic plan behind that vision, but it is their responsibility to be clear about the vision. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I've often had organizations ask me, because uh, I also do some strategic planning, they'll ask me, they'll say, well, we're, we're in the middle of a essentially an executive transition and should we go ahead and do our strategic plan? And my, my typical response is, you know, that's a six to nine month process. And no, you, you should go ahead and recruit your chief executive before you start your planning process, but you need to have a 10,000 foot view sense of where you want to go. Do you want to grow the way you're currently growing or not growing? Um, you know, do you want to expand into a new area, et cetera? You need to understand all of that so you can find the right person. 
I, I give exactly the same answer, Dolph. You know, now is not the time to put the strategic plan in place because no ED wants to walk in to somebody else's strategic plan. <laughs> they want to create their own. But again, it's out of a common vision with the board of where you're ultimately going to go. So, yeah. And I'll share that every now and then organizations will push back on that. And so my fallback is usually this very truthful statement, which is searching for your next chief executive is a heavy lift for the board. Strategic planning is a heavy lift for the board. It is very unlikely that you have enough board members with the bandwidth to do both of those at the same time. And what's more, when your new chief executive does start, you don't want your board to be exhausted and burned out and unable to support your new chief executive. Like why, why would you do that? I think that's a, that's a good way of helping them to maybe see the world a little differently. Cause I don't know about your experience, but oftentimes by the time an organization, especially organizations that hadn't really planned on an interim, but realized they need some professional there to help with this, it's because the board leadership are fried. You know, they've tried to step in and fill gaps. And so they're meeting so much more often than they were. And they're dealing with so much more detail than they ever were. And they're fried. And now you're going to both <laughs> take on a strategic plan and a search process. Usually they get the message. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll share with you the organizations who approach me and they're like, we need you to start tomorrow which is almost never a possibility. That's not true. Tomorrow is never a possibility. Next week might be a possibility. Tomorrow is never a possibility. Um, but so the organizations that reach out to me and say, we need you to start tomorrow are normally those organizations where exactly what you just described, their chief executive left and the board said, oh, you know, we're going to create an interim management committee and we're just going to manage the organization. And suddenly, suddenly all these staff are pinging up to the interim management committee and funders, et cetera. And after about a month or two, they're like, we can't do our jobs. And you know, be with our families. We need someone. And that's when they reach out like, can you start tomorrow? And I think that speaks to one of the things that um, people don't really fully appreciate, uh, Dolph, in the work that we do. And that is that, you know, oftentimes people will think, well, I just need to plug somebody into a spot, you know, just to fill in and, and answer a couple of questions and deal with a couple of issues and so on. And, and oftentimes they'll take somebody off the board to do that. Or maybe they'll ask a staff member to double up and do their job plus that. First of all, that misses a huge opportunity because you no longer have this objective outside uh, presence who's trying to help you figure out how to make the organization better. But secondly, it's incredibly taxing on those individuals. And uh, there are often sort of longer term consequences. I often actually advise organizations to not have someone step up and be acting for a couple of reasons. The first is, there's really only one of two scenarios. Either you step up as the acting with the plan that you're going to return to your old position, whether that's COO, CFO, or whatever. It is very hard to go from being the chief executive, even on a temporary basis, who calls all the shots, to being the CFO, where all you're responsible for are the shots inside the finance office. It's really, really hard. I actually have a, a close friend, actually former board co-chair of mine who is a nonprofit CFO and stepped into the acting role for about a year. And when he stepped back down to the CFO role, I asked him how it was. And he goes, oh, this is horrible. He's like, I, I almost feel like I need to raise my hand to, to go use the bathroom. And like, did you feel that way before? And he goes, no, but I just used to have so much freedom as the chief executive. And now I don't. That That's very true. I've seen that experience. But the other side of it too is 
if that person has the potential to be the CEO, uh, if they are chosen, great. If they're not, you will lose that person because yes. they will go find another leadership opportunity. Uh, and then you've lost a really talented individual. So there are, there are a bunch of pitfalls out there that seem on the surface, you know, oh, no big deal, but they are. Right. It's also why along those same lines, I always say to organizations, whoever your interim is should not be allowed to be a candidate for your permanent. Because ideally, your interim is orienting your new chief executive or at a minimum is setting up so your new chief executive will be successful. You cannot allow someone to apply for your chief executive position while serving as your chief executive and then say to them, oh, we've loved you, but sorry, we chose someone else. And actually expect that they are, no matter how good of a human being they are, that they are going to actually do a great job of orienting the new chief executive. Absolutely agree with you. Absolutely agree. And it's one of the things that uh, I use as criteria for people who join my organization as associates. So these are all people who sort of had their careers and have been successful, but don't want to carry another organization for five or 10 years. But it is my key question. Would you be interested if the right opportunity came along? And, um, you know, they're pretty clear that, no, they, they've been there and done that. And now they want to really make a difference and give something back. Yeah. And, and I will even own that like twice I've been sorely tempted. I'm like, oh my gosh, this organization. And, and I almost think it's, you aren't human. You know, if you're, if you're in a job that you're really enjoying, you aren't human. If you're not like, oh my gosh, this would be so great. But I've always had to take the step back. And it's especially hard when boards are like, oh, but why won't you take it? But I've always had to take the step back and say, no, that's not how this is supposed to work. I'm supposed to go away. And I have said, I have uh, experienced many times that the board will say to me, well, can't this person stay on? Even though the person doesn't want to, um, because they feel like they've done a good job. And obviously that's really great and complimentary, especially when you're coming in, not with the goal of doing a job that's making anybody happy, but rather that, you know, achieving the goals of, uh, of being there uh, and moving the organization forward. But most of the time, because people are relationship builders, because they are bringing people along with what they do, people want them to stay, but they need to move on. Exactly. I, I will say that sometimes there's a financial incentive for the board to say, okay, yeah, you need to move on. And, and I don't know how you, how you all work, but Typically, like I make what the last chief executive made and I have a minimum. And so it is not unusual for me to make more than what their prior chief executive was making. And sometimes it's not unusual for me to make more than what their future chief executive was making. And so it's interesting that then becomes like this financial incentive for them to say, okay, we need to be serious about filling this role. And yet it can't be Dolph because, you know, that's not in our budget. We, we need Dolph's skill set for this very finite period of time to do some very specific things. I don't know if you ever face that with some of your associates. Yeah, we um, we try to price our services in line with the salary plus benefits that the prior ED or in some cases that the future ED, when we know that the prior ED was underpaid, which is, of course, not uncommon. <laughs> um, we try to price that way. And as long as that comes out at a rate that reflects uh, the value of our professionals, uh, it, it works nicely for everybody. There are times when we have to price a little higher because they are woefully underpaying for the role. And uh, in most cases, people are happy to do it because of the professionalism that they that they get. And I'll share with you, most of the times when I'm making 
significantly more than what their prior made. It's that same thing where they were just woefully underpaying. And I have to say to them, you're not going to find someone. You were lucky to have the last person, assuming you liked them, but you're not going to find someone at that rate. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, And I have not had too much pushback one way or another. I really haven't. I think people understand that um, you have to pay for for, uh, professionalism. Mm -hmm. So I've got a few questions for you around how folks find interims. So I know some regions like New England has interim executive solutions to really help nonprofits find interims and get interims. The New York region has the support center for nonprofits that does that, but most regions don't have it. And so like, what do you recommend folks do? Call their, if they have a national association, call their national association. You know, if you're, if you're in a region that does not have kind of an entity that provides interim services, how do you find what you need? Yeah. There are more organizations or there are more places to find interims out there than you realize. So for instance, you know, on the West Coast, third sector company uh, provides interims up and down the West Coast, and they even do some across other parts of the country. That, that's one of the training grounds for a lot of professional interims, just as a support center in New York is another, is another training ground. There are pods of interims, people who are independent, but they sort of gather together for marketing purposes in places like San Francisco and DC. But other than that, you know, I would recommend people go to their local nonprofit uh, organization because typically that's where people are going to, that's where people are going to advertise their their services and their capabilities. You know, I'm happy for people to reach out to me and I'll point them to where a lot of the opportunities to to find other people outside of my region are. Um, And I think the biggest thing here, Dolphin, and the thing I'm most hopeful about is there's more recognition that this is a profession and um, that we need to articulate to nonprofits the opportunity that an interim engagement gives. You know, it's, this is not crisis time. This is the time to learn about your organization, but you can only do it if you've got, you know, people who have the training and knowledge to, to help you. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. David, that's probably a good place for us to leave it and pick up the off the map question. When I looked at your LinkedIn profile, okay, I can see you're all business up to a certain point. I think you started at Bain or some, you know, someplace like that. And, you know, but you were all business. And then, of course, this act of your career has pretty much been why you're, why you have a for-profit company, pretty much all been in the nonprofit sector. There was one period, though, when you were a teacher. And I want to know more about you being a teacher, so as I uh, built my for-profit career, um, <clears throat> I was in retail and direct marketing and ultimately got into high tech um, for a dozen years or so. Um, and that took me traveling a lot and doing a lot of really interesting things. But it also took me away from my family. My wife was in a family business that was doing nicely, but um, she wasn't able to spend as much time in it as she had wanted to, uh, because I was doing my thing. (laughs) And um, so I came to a point where I realized, you know what, my kids are teenagers. This is the time they need me around. And this is the time I actually want to be around them. So uh, I went back and got a teaching degree. I took a year off, went back, got a teaching degree. And 
spent six years teaching eighth grade math um, while my kids were teenagers until the youngest graduated high school. And while teaching is one of the hardest jobs I've ever had in my life, uh, which is a subject for another day, uh, it was just a wonderful opportunity and experience. And once my son graduated, then that took me into the nonprofit world. And I've been in the nonprofit world ever since. That's awesome. Is there is there a key nugget or two that you gained from being an eighth grade math teacher? There is, because teaching you think is about me telling you, but it actually isn't. It's about me learning what you need to learn from me. And I think, you know, as I think about my for-profit career, I knew what I was doing and I had my plans and brought people along. And if I think about my nonprofit career, I'm, I'm a learner. I learn from people. I, I try to help to uh, bring my knowledge to help them be learners too. Uh, and I learned that because I started out teaching, thinking I knew everything and realized I knew nothing. Hmm. That's awesome. And I do have to reflect I think that's also what you and your associates do as interims is you learn what other people need to learn from you. That's exactly right. They're the content experts. We're there just to help them along and to empower them to make that, uh, turn that into something really meaningful. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us today. And, you know, listeners always want to know how they can get in touch with you. And so your URL at Interim Executive Solutions is interim dash exec.org. That's interim dash exec.org. And listeners, here's some reasons you should go there. The first is so that you can learn why professional interim leadership can have a tremendous positive impact on your nonprofit. And the second is, and this to me is just so incredible, they will offer free consultation on issues related to staff or board leadership transitions to any nonprofit that contacts them. You don't need to be in the New England area to contact them. So it's an incredibly generous offer. Make sure you go to interim-exec.org and check out what they're doing. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Dolph. So listeners, don't forget, if for any reason you're not able to write down interim-exec.org, you can go to our show notes at SuccessfulNonprofits.com, and you can get David's URL there. We'll also probably post to his LinkedIn page and a few other resources that we may have talked about today. And if you enjoyed this episode, if there was a nugget in this episode that really made you stop and think and go, hmm, I'd not thought about it that way. If you think someone else would enjoy the episode in the same way, please share it with them. And after you've shared it with them, there are two other episodes I think you might enjoy. The first is preparing your nonprofit for a new executive director. That's episode 147. A big part of an interim engagement is getting the organization ready for the next chief executive. And then also check out episode 219, fill that job with the perfect candidate with Kathleen Duffy. Kathleen is a miracle worker when in terms of recruitment. I've always been so impressed at her work. So if you check out episode 219, you can find out how to fill the job with the ideal candidate. That, listeners, is our show for this week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. 
And the lawyers make me tell you, I'm not an accountant, nor am I an attorney. And neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or you got it, accounting advice. This show is for informational purposes only and should not be, guess what, relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please, please, if that's what you need, do not rely on podcasts. Do not rely on blogs. Do not rely on the internet. Go out and find a licensed, qualified professional that can provide the tax, legal, or accounting advice that you need. And if you're not sure who to reach out to, you can always reach out to me. I will help you figure out what type of professional you should be talking to. And if I know someone, I'm happy to connect you.